Let us return to the portion of God's word that we read from the New Testament, from the Gospel according to John, chapter 19, and seeking the Lord's enabling, we would wish to meditate on words that you'll find in verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, he sought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. The title that we give to our sermon this evening is Secret Love now publicly revealed. Secret love now publicly revealed. Such was the physical brutality exercised on the body of Christ at Calvary, and such was the unfathomable sufferings of his soul as God poured out his wrath for his redeemed people upon him, that Calvary is not a place for the faint-hearted. It's not a place for the hard-hearted either, nor is it a place for the cold-hearted. But it is a place for the tender-hearted, the broken-hearted, and those whose hearts are full of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those will go to Calvary. Those who are broken for their sins, those who love Jesus Christ because they see him as the sin-bearer and their only redeemer. Those who are cold-hearted and have no love for Jesus Christ, they are quite happy to stay in Bethlehem. They are quite happy to stay at the manger and look to the life of Jesus Christ. And while, of course, we know that the life of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, was necessary for the salvation of his people, his life never saved anyone. It's his death that saves the sinner, his atoning sacrifice. It's his broken body and his shed blood that his people look to in love. So therefore, the only ones who will go to Calvary are those who realize that this is their only hope, their only hope of salvation, a seeking sinner, a burdened sinner, or like Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple. You see, it was the death of Jesus Christ that had an amazing effect on Joseph of Arimathea and his friend Nicodemus. And when the death of Jesus Christ, the reality of his sufferings of body and of soul are laid before the sinner, 
it will do one of two things. It will either harden the heart and make it colder, or as in Joseph of Arimathea's case, it will stir the heart. It will warm the heart. It will overflow with love, this heart. And in this beautiful account from 38 to the end and in our text, we see the love of Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple in the burial of the body of Jesus Christ. And we will concern ourselves this evening, not with the sufferings of his soul, but with his broken body. Because it was the body of Christ that Joseph of Arimathea took away. These men were moved. They were stirred. It, it quickened them to a degree that they had not previously experienced in their lives. So that this love that they had for Jesus Christ boiled over into a public act that now marked them out as disciples of Jesus Christ. Irreversibly, unmistakably, these men were standing for Christ because his death moved them. And it's recorded in all four Gospels, this lovely, beautiful account of Joseph of Arimathea burying the body of our blessed Savior. And that's our prayer for this evening, that as we study the burial of Jesus Christ and contemplate his death and lay before the reality of his death before sinners, and we're all sinners, that every one of us would be stirred in our hearts, that the secret disciple may be moved to act like Joseph of Arimathea, that those who are waning in their love for Jesus Christ might be renewed and reinvigorated and stirred up when you realize what he has done for sinners such as we are, but most of all for those who are cold-hearted, hard-hearted and dead-hearted, that you may this evening see something beautiful at Calvary. The beauty of Christ in his death. I want to bring four things to your attention about this secret love now publicly revealed. Firstly, we see the desire for the body of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had a desire to take the body of Jesus Christ. And from the four Gospels, we can create a composite picture of what this man Joseph of Arimathea was like. Luke tells us that he was a, a member of the ruling council in Jerusalem. He was a member of the Sanhedrin who authorized the death of Christ, who authorized the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But Luke is at pains to tell us he did not consent to this deed. We also know that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. We know that he was a devout man. He's also described as a good man and a just. One of the other gospel writers tells us he waited for the kingdom of God. In other words, he was a true disciple. He was a true believer. He loved the Lord Jesus Christ. But this love was not made public. 
It was hidden. It was secret. He had a fear of his status. He had a fear of his position. He had a fear of his reputation. We're told that in the text, secretly for fear of the Jews. So he cannot be absolved completely of sinful unbelief. But he had a fear of man. But he still loved the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the fear of man and what man might say that caused him to keep his love for Christ secret, concealed. We are told that Nicodemus came with him. It's always good to have a companion on the way. Nicodemus, who we know from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, who came to Jesus by night and was told he must be born again, we believe he was born again. We believe that he was a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ in life. He had pondered the words that Christ had said to him. It had an effect upon him. And now his death has another effect upon him that he has a desire to display his love publicly and claim the body of Jesus Christ. And these two men now stand shoulder to shoulder. And the full public gaze to everyone that was gathered round the cross, the scoffing Jews, the enemies of Christ, the Roman executioners, they are showing their desire for the body of Jesus Christ. And gossip would spread. Look at these two men. They're both in the Sanhedrin. Look what they're doing. They're going to Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. They have a desire for his body. Such was the effect that pondering the death of Christ had upon him. As far as, as is recorded in Scripture for us, apart from protesting to the sentence of death that the Sanhedrin passed on Jesus Christ, neither Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus had done anything for Christ in his life. But now they would remedy that. They would do everything they could in his death and with his body. His death overwhelmed them, in other words. You see that it's never too late to make a public stand. It's never too late to be known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you consider that these were two secret disciples for fear of the Jews, we might think, well, where were all the professors? Where were all those who publicly professed to be his disciples? Where were the eleven? Well, they've forsaken him. they fled. They are nowhere to be found. But the secret disciple comes forward and says, I will take the body of Jesus Christ. It's a rebuke, isn't it? It's a rebuke to those who make public profession that they're disciples of Jesus Christ when two secret disciples put them to shame, when they take no action, and the secret disciples have this overwhelming desire, a far greater desire than the 11 who followed him. Only John was there. 
If you profess to love the Lord Jesus Christ, it shouldn't be difficult to detect. And if you have a secret love for Jesus Christ, pondering his death and what he has done, we pray that it would cause you to behave like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, no longer to have a fear of man, no longer to have a concern what people think, because your desire and your love for Jesus Christ should be the very thing that defines you. They called them Christians first at Antioch. That should be the very mark of the Christian, even if it brings disdain, even if it brings persecution and insults as it increasingly is. And what was it that caused this defining act to take place, the true desires to bubble to the surface? It was Christ's death at Calvary. No wonder Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. It's Christ crucified that stirs up the hearts of the hearer. We see, secondly, this desire gave way to a pleading. They had the desire for the body of Jesus, and now the pleading for the body of Jesus. Our outward conduct merely reflects our true desires, our inner desires. And so we can say for these two men, for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, that their true desire was outwardly reflected, this love for Jesus Christ, this new burning desire that they had, because they would stop at nothing until they took possession of the body of Jesus Christ. They would plead and Joseph of Arimathea throws off all his inhibitions. He throws, all, throws off all his doubts and any qualms that he had. And he goes to none other than the senior Roman ruler in Judea. He goes to Pilate to plead for the body of Jesus. What love. What secret love he had that is now plain for everyone to see. Why did he go to Pilate? Well, the rules of the Roman occupier, the Roman state, Christ, of course, was crucified as a criminal, was that the state owned the body of the criminal, the state owned all the possessions of the criminal. The relatives of those who were crucified would most likely have to pay a large bribe to Pilate or the Roman executioners in order to gain some of the possessions or to give the deceased a respectful burial. And of course, most criminals were poor. And so there was a place near Golgotha where all the crucified corpses would be unceremoniously dumped in a common grave or perhaps even cremated. And that was the very intention of the Jews as part of Christ's humiliation, 
Their very intention was that Christ, this imposter as far as they were concerned, would not just suffer an excruciating death, but he would have an ignominious burial. But we see the Lord's providence. What was the descriptions that are given to us of Joseph of Arimathea? Oh, he was a rich man. And we're told he was a rich man for good reason. Because in the Lord's providence, as a rich man and a high-status Jew, his status would give him access to Pilate. And Pilate would be attracted to the riches of this man, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, we're not told what took place during this conversation between Joseph and Pilate. We are not told of any secret dealings or any bribes, but we are told three things, three necessary things about how he conducted himself in the presence of Pilate. Matthew and Luke tell us he begged for the body of Jesus. A rich man, a ruler in the Sanhedrin, well-known in Jerusalem, begging to the Roman governor. Mark uses the word, he craved the body of Jesus. In our text, he besought Pilate. They convey, convey the vehemence of his pleading, the earnestness of his teeding of his pleading. There's no doubt what Joseph of Arimathea's desire was. He was not going to be put off. He was not going to keep his love for Christ hidden, secret, obscured any longer. He would strain every sinew, making a very public spectacle of himself and do everything necessary to plead for the body of Jesus and secure it so that he could give the body an honourable burial. Being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. There was a fear. But look at the marvellous effect that the death of Jesus Christ had on him. Mark tells us, he went to Pilate and craved the body of Jesus Boldly. What a change. What a transformation. Perhaps for three years of Christ's ministry, this man has hidden his love for fear of the Jews. And now he is going boldly to the Roman governor saying, give me the body of Jesus. I beg, I crave, I beseech. And what's he pleading for? He's pleading for the body of the eternal Son of God. In human nature, truly God and yet truly man, truly dead, pleading for his body. A lifeless corpse 
the body of the Savior broken by death. While, of course, we know from verse 36 that there was no bones broken, we believe that the brokenness of Christ's body was that unnatural separation, the breaking of the dichotomy between the body and the soul, broken by death. When the soul departs the body, that unnatural breaking, how precious the body of Christ must have been to Joseph of Arimathea. And it should be precious to the Lord's people this evening. Whether a public professor or whether a secret disciple, there should be nothing more precious than the broken body of Jesus Christ. For it is in his death, in his brokenness, that the true believer, the true disciple, sees their life and sees their completeness in him. It wasn't one of the eleven, as we said, who went publicly to plead for the Savior's body. It was the secret disciple. Are you pleading for the body of Christ this evening? You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be of high status. You don't need to be well known. Oh, but you do need to beg. You do need to plead. You do need to come with a broken spirit and a contrite heart and plead for the body of Jesus Christ. Make Christ precious to me. A pleading for salvation. A pleading for forgiveness of sins through the efficacy of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. We see thirdly, the taking of the body of Jesus. He came therefore, the end of our text, verse 38, he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea took personal responsibility for the taking away of the body of Jesus Christ. There was a personal relationship. This was the body of his Savior. And he is personally going to deal with his broken body, regardless of any consequences publicly that may fall upon him. He's not going to delegate to one of his many servants that he could have employed. He's not going to ask for any assistance, save from another secret disciple, Nicodemus. He's going to do it himself. Because his relationship with his Savior, his relationship with the broken body of Jesus was personal. 
Mark and Luke tell us something quite remarkable. John says, and they came therefore and took the body of Jesus. Mark and Luke are more specific. And they took him down. Now we must be careful not to sensationalize or veer into irreverence. But ponder how they took the body of Jesus. These two secret disciples, they took him down. He was still nailed to the cross. They got no help from anyone. The disciples had forsaken him and fled. They weren't interested in the help of the Roman soldiers. They would do it themselves. Now, these were men who weren't used to getting their hands dirty. They were scholars, rulers. Two high-status Jews abandoning all outward decorum, not caring about their reputation, not caring about getting their hands and their clothes soiled, going to the cross, removing the nails, and taking the body of Jesus. That body mutilated terribly by death. So that in love, they could give him an honorable burial. The Lord of glory, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who had the power over the breath in the nostrils of his executioner. The second person of the Trinity, God manifest in the flesh for Joseph of Arimathea and for Nicodemus, their savior in death. Dead in order to deal with their sins, to deal with the guilt and the punishment, the wrath of God that was due to them for their sins. They would take him down. They would take his body. And they would handle it with love and with dignity. Two converted Pharisees in the full public gaze of the people. What are they declaring? these two secret disciples. Oh, well, they were declaring quite simply, we are not ashamed to be associated with Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. We were perhaps lapsed and lacking in life, but in death we are not afraid to be associated with him. His body may be unwanted by the Romans and the Jews. Oh, but we desire him. We will plead for him. We will take him away. It's a, call, it's a scene that causes us to weep. 
both in sorrow and in thankful joy, that there is the Savior crucified for the sins of his people. And what this shows us is that it's not enough to come to Calvary and gaze upon a crucified Jesus Christ at arm's length. You must come to Calvary and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must take his sacrifice to yourself as the only sacrifice for your sins, the only atonement for your sins, the only satisfactory sacrifice to the Father for your sins. You must take him yourself. The only other option is to do what all the others did, is to pass by once again, wagging your head, reviling him, rejecting him. Oh, take him. He's freely offered in the gospel. Take his broken body. Take his shed blood. We plead with you. I beg, I crave, I beseech, as all the Lord's people do, or oh, take him. Don't reject him again and crucify him afresh. We see, fourthly and finally, the care for the body of Jesus Christ, the desire for the body of Jesus, the pleading the taking, and now finally the care for the body of Jesus. They are no longer secret disciples by this point. Everyone in Jerusalem knows what's going on at Calvary. And Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus would spare nothing for their saviour. Nicodemus, also a rich man, we are told there, he brings a hundred pounds. Think of the weight. A hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. This is a vast quantity, a costly amount, because burial was very important to the Jews. The body was dressed and prepared, as is described for us, in spices and fine linen, with honor and with dignity. How they cared for the body of the Redeemer. They had a desire for him. They pled for him. They took him and now they would lavish him in death with the care which he deserved. And because Joseph of Arimathea is a rich man, he is a tomb. A newly hewn tomb prepared for himself in the garden nearby. And there, because of time pressures, because the high Sabbath day was approaching, they buried him in linen grave clothes, dressed with the spices. In care and in love, placing the broken body of Jesus Christ in an unused tomb. Rolling over the stone to secure it from the robbers and the animals. It's a, it's a scene of great reverence. 
And it's a scene of great love and great care. God the Father had prepared a body for his son. And now in providence, he makes provision for the body of his son in death. The same body that in three days he would rise again from the tomb with. The same body that he was seen ascending up on high with. The same glorified body that now sits on the throne of heaven. These two men cared for it in death. We must remember that Christ died for our bodies as well as for our souls. Our bodies being still united to Christ and our effectual calling rest in the grave until the resurrection. And although this was the last aspect of his estate of humiliation, being laid in the tomb and continuing under the power of death for a season, we still see the dignity, the honor, the care and the love that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus devoted to their Savior. We see the fulfillment of prophecy. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was buried as a rich man because of the providence of God, bringing these secret disciples to make their love for Christ public. Do you have the same love for Jesus Christ? Do you have the same care? Do you exercise care over God's word and God's blessing? Do you exercise care and love over Christ as your Savior? Because these two secret disciples did. If you have a strong desire... If you've had to plead over and over and again for something, if you've had to take it at great personal cost to yourself, surely, surely you're not going to be complacent and careless with such a treasured possession. We had a beautiful sermon last Lord's Day morning. If we can say, my beloved is the chiefest amongst 10,000 and he is the altogether lovely one, how do we show that? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus give us an example to follow. We cannot do enough for Christ. As we sang in our opening praise, we cannot speak enough of Christ. And if you can't speak, we can't show forth enough in our daily conduct, our love for Jesus Christ. Scripture doesn't record the fate of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, but undoubtedly, they would have been thrown out of the Sanhedrin. They would have lost some wealth. They would have lost their status. But they were given grace to stand up. And they were not the losers for standing up for Jesus Christ. What effect, in closing, does the death 
of Jesus Christ, his broken body, have on you. And there's perhaps three classes in our congregation this evening. There's those who make public profession that they love the Lord Jesus Christ. What effect does it have on you? Do you perhaps have to renew your love? Do you perhaps have to take up your cross again and follow after Jesus Christ? Making known that you are a disciple and a lover of Jesus, that you are known and read of all men, that your love for Jesus Christ defines who and what you are. The second class might be those secret disciples. Those who are just like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Who have a desire, who have pled for the body of Jesus, who have taken him, who care for him. But yet have that fear of man. Well, we pray that the Lord would give you grace. The Lord is no man's debtor. No man will ever lose out for making a public stand to say that I'm not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the third class may be those to whom this sermon means absolutely nothing. The cold-hearted, the hard-hearted. Well, it's for you that we pray the most. And it's for you that we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take the reading and the preaching of God's word regarding the death of Jesus Christ and that you would see your own need to come to the throne of grace and plead for the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from your sins. It's one of the most amazing things when you're converted and you realize what Paul means when he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while you were in the swine fields, while you were in the flesh pots of Egypt, 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross, Christ's body was broken in death for his people. We pray that all of us would leave this service and take the body of Jesus with us. May the Lord bless his own word to us. Let us pray. We thank thee for the willingness of thy son, Jesus Christ, to take to himself a human nature, to endure his estate of humiliation, to fulfill all the commands and requirements of the justice of the Father for the salvation of his people. He magnified the law and made it honorable. 
He poured out his soul unto death. He won the victory for his people at Calvary. And his salvation is freely offered in his gospel. We pray, O Lord, that those who are thine and who have yet not had the courage to profess faith in thee would ponder thine own word, that they would think of the example of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and that they too would cast off all fear of men and be given grace. We pray for thy people. Help us to be better disciples, to be more careful with thy word, to think Christ more precious. And we pray for the unconverted, that thou might send forth the shafts of the arrows of the king into their heart and draw them to thyself with the cords of love. Go before us in the week in which we have entered. Forgive our sins and holy things and be pleased to follow with thy blessing anything that was said or done that is glorifying to Jesus Christ, forgiving our every sin for his name's sake alone. Amen.